Alex. Yes, Trevor. You go to the doctor for a checkup. Something's wrong, and they write you a prescription. Uh-huh. You take your you take your dog to the vet. Something's wrong. The vet writes the dog a prescription. Uh-huh. Research shows that we're actually more likely to administer the the full prescription to our dog than ourselves. What? That's crazy. <laughs> yes, and this is like think about that for a second. And I like it, it kind of makes true. sense. Yeah. yeah, I think that would that we would do that, Alex. Yeah. Do you value your life? Yeah, it's pretty important Quite to a me. Bit. Okay, so imagine a scale uh-huh. where your life is on one side and a text message is on the other. Okay. Okay, which one's winning? I'm going to choose my life. Okay, same. And I think everyone would agree. Right. Yet, all of the time, we do the exact opposite of that. That's true. We text, text and drive all the time. Texting and driving, right? right? It's like, if you weigh it out, it's like a totally ridiculous thing to do. Like, there's no way that that text is even close to as valuable as staying out of danger not running someone over right. or hurting yourself, yet we lose that battle all the time. Today, we're going to explore why this happens. And to do so, we're going to use some research from this field of behavioral economics. But we're also going to give some tools for how we can use this in our daily lives. Help improve our action. I'm Trevor. I'm Alex. Welcome to the Learner Lab podcast presented by trainugly.com. Each week, something new that can help us learn. Let's go. I know what you're thinking. This isn't to you, Alex. This is to the audience. It's like, these bros are talking about behavioral econ, right? yet this is a podcast on learning. So help us like bridge those two. Like, How do these two connect? I think the big connection here between behavioral economics and learning is that too often when we try to take action, we look at ourselves through this lens of we're perfect and we're going to do whatever we set our mind to. Always make the right decision, do the right thing. Right. It makes a lot of sense. But too often we do things that aren't aligned with those actions we want to take. Right. And behavioral economics is sort of the study of how to get better at actually taking and sustaining action. Yes, which is, you could argue, the most important piece of the learning puzzle. And we, we've said that in almost every episode. Right. And this is a way to like look at the science of how we can kind of align our actions with the goals that we have. The big problem here isn't that we don't know what's good. Like we know what's good. We know the basics of eating better. We know that working out is good for us. So we don't need more tools and information to convince us that. The problem is we don't really take or sustain that action in the short run. From what I've learned so far, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, perhaps the biggest angle and one of the big pillars of behavioral econ is we think we're rational but oftentimes we're not. Right. What I mean by that is like, we think we're always going to make the best decision for the short and long term, but right. that, but oftentimes we do the opposite. Right. That's exactly right. And behavioral econ is sort of looking at why that happens and, and how to fix that. So the way I look at it is rational is this is the best move for what I'm trying to accomplish. Right. Irrational is this might not be the best move for what I'm trying to accomplish. Right. If you think about it, like if... If you want to lose 15 pounds, mm-hmm. the, the rational thing to do would be to work out, to eat well, you know, go on a diet, these things. But oftentimes we have a hard time doing that and we're going to eat the pizza that's in front of us. We're going to not work out when we get home from work. And that's right. sort of our irrational self coming of into course. play. Of course. Okay. So that makes sense. So this is basically understanding human behavior and understanding that a big problem is we think that we're going to make the right decision, but oftentimes we don't. Right. That's the big issue is we're sort of viewing our world 
through the lens of we are rational beings, Mm -hmm. which sometimes we are, but we hold ourselves to too high of a standard if we think that in every scenario we're going to act completely rational. It's just, it's not feasible. We can't do that. Right. So when we were first digging into this, my uh, sort of logic was like, well, let's just be more rational. Right. (laughs) Right. And from like what I've seen so far, it's like, that's really hard to do. We can try. Right. But I think, again, everyone listening, we've tried to fight that battle a lot right. and lost that battle a lot. Yeah. If you just think of how many decisions we make on a daily basis, hundreds of decisions, even really small ones, mm-hmm. there's no way that we can be completely rational in every single one of those. So we use these rules of thumbs to make decisions, and those sometimes lead to irrational behaviors. Absolutely. So I guess the goal here is to realize it's really hard to become more rational we're going to be irrational, but once we understand that, we can start to work with that. Right. It's, it's all about working with our nature rather than against it. Got it. If we were all rational, it would be as easy as, you know, coming up with these tools and then just presenting them to people. And then we do it. And then we do it. Because that's the best move. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We want to lose the 15 pounds when someone says, this is how you lose 15 pounds, then we just do it. Right. The thing is... this is how you create a better culture in a school. Here's the tools, do it. Right. But we don't. Yeah. Why? It's because we're humans and we make mistakes. We make errors. We're not perfect all the time. So... In order to take and sustain action, of course, we need the tools. We need to be pointed in the right direction. Important piece of the puzzle. But we have to be aware of our human nature in order to help ourselves and others kind of do the things we need to do that helps us in the long run. I think the, the way that makes the most sense for me, it's like... In the long run, we're all pretty rational. Like mm-hmm. our future self reads for an hour a day, goes right. on a run, listens to podcasts and writes. The people we aspire to be. Our short-term self, very <laughs> irrational. Right. But the problem is, if we're always losing these battles in the short run, we never get to where we want to go in right. the long run. It's, it's sort of building those two things together, bringing the short run and the long run together. Yes. So our moves that we're making today are in line with where we're headed. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. And this is the science of how to be better with that. When we say that we're all human and we make these errors and that we're irrational, it sort of seems like like a dark cloud above us, right? Like, oh, we make all these errors, it's a bad thing. Well, a researcher from Duke, his name's Dan Ariely, he paints us in a better light, basically saying that, yes, we're irrational and we do these things, we make mistakes, but the good news is we do them repeatedly and often, we do them predictably. So his big phrase is, we're predictably irrational. So sort of the silver lining of this is that we can use those irrational behaviors to actually guide ourselves towards making the decisions we want to make. If we're aware of them. If we're aware of them. And if you're like me, like I just became aware of a lot of these yesterday. (laughs) So it's like, we're going to try to put some stuff on the table now. Right. Okay. So one of the big concepts with behavioral economics is designing your environment, which they call nudges or choice architecture. Sure. And that's basically just looking at your environment and then making it easier for you to take the actions that you want to do in the long run. Nudges are kind of having a moment in econ right now. Yeah, in the econ world. <laughs> yeah. Ain't nobody um, ever heard of a nudge except we, for these guys. We just won. I don't know why I said we, but <laughs> you came on it. Yeah. We. Richard Thaler just won the Nobel Prize in economics for a lot of work that he did with nudges last year. And there's a bunch of governments all over the world who have their own nudge units figuring out how to apply nudges. Nudge unit. <laughs> yeah, it's great, right? <laughs> yeah, I want that job. Head of nudge unit. <laughs> One way that I like to think about nudges is... An example that I think everyone who has a car can relate to. So when you're driving on the highway and you start to veer a bit towards the right side of the road, you hit that rumble strip, right? And it's jarring and it 
guides you back into the right. the actual lane, right? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of what a nudge does. So keeping when you, us on track, yeah. When we're pursuing a goal that's in the future, we're going to deviate, right? Sometimes we're not going to eat as well if we're trying to lose weight. Mm-hmm. But the idea with a nudge is sort of to get us back in the lane, going on the path that we want to be going on. Perfect. Classic example of this is at a cafeteria. If you want people to eat healthier in a cafeteria, you should just start putting the healthier food at the beginning of the lunch line. So that's sure. the first thing that they see. And if they want the bad food, they have to maybe walk further to go get it. Um, it. So you're sort of designing the environment in which they can make choices. Nudges are all over in the world. Right. And they're not always nudging us towards the thing we want to do. No. Uh, think about a grocery store. All the candy right there at right. the checkout. Like, like buy this candy. You're checking out. It's just one little reach. It, that's on purpose. Right. Because like everyone buys that. Low friction, getting us to do something that we don't want to do, but that's a nudge in and of itself. The The piece that really made the most sense for me, it's like it's being aware of friction mm-hmm. and using it. So it's like the, the goal is if we want to do something more, make that easier right if we want to stop doing something add friction make exactly. it more difficult uh so for me it's like if i'm trying to eat healthy mm-hmm. one way to create some friction is get rid of all the unhealthy right. foods in the house if there's no candy bars in the house it's pretty hard to eat them. if they're there very little friction i'm gonna eat it right <laughs> like we're gonna eventually lose the battle but if it's not there it's more friction i have to go to the store buy the stuff and so if we like load our kitchen with healthy food, there's less friction there. I'm more likely to eat that. And there's more friction of trying to get the candy. Uh, James Clear writes a lot about this in Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. Fantastic book. Another way to kind of use friction to help encourage a behavior is like, okay, if every day we want to go for a run, right? if we just leave our shoes out. Mm-hmm. So think about what that's doing. One is... I see it. So that's kind of a trigger like, oh, it's a reminder. Right. And they're just there. I don't have to go find them. They're in the same place. So it's a visible thing. Mm -hmm. It's sort of reducing the friction. I'm more likely to do it. Okay. So if I want to meditate every day, Mm -hmm. what are some nudges I could build into my environment to help me? We're social creatures, right? Right. So if we want to meditate more we could put a chart up in the living room and maybe whoever we're living with, be it a spouse or our parents or roommate, whatever. Pod mate. uh, (laughs) You put that sheet up on the wall, right? And you tell the other person who lives with you, I'm going to meditate every day, just, you know, five minutes a day, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to put an X every day that I do it. Now, the person doesn't even actually really have to hold you accountable, but just you having that chart, knowing that that person can see whether or not you're meditating each day, it makes it social. And I can't not do this. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So it's like, okay, friction is like make the behavior easy and maybe a a visual trigger. So like uh, I could like lay out a mat and on this mat I meditate and that's already out. Exactly. And then making it social is like, how do I like draw some attention to this. Right. And it's it's working with your nature, right? Because yeah. we know that we're social creatures and so we don't want to mess let up. You down. Yeah. I don't want you to know I'm not sticking exactly. with this goal. And so doing that sort of encourages us to stick with that. Holds behavior. you accountable. That's like there's a lot of apps now that do this. Mm-hmm. It's like you can create these little challenges in these groups that we're right. all going to do this thing. So that makes a lot of sense. Make yeah. it social, make it visible, think of friction. Mm-hmm. Uh okay. How would this look in the workplace? So say we're a leader. Mm -hmm. What are some kind of rules of thumb we could use to increase the behaviors we want to see? So, well, let's, so if we wanted to 
create an environment where ideas spread a little bit more easier. collaboration right more creativity okay. all of this stuff if we wanted to do that and let's say we have a lunch room but all the tables are spread apart everyone kind of eats by themselves they don't talk mm-hmm. one thing you could do is take all of those tables that are individual get rid of them and get one big long table right so now people sit together We've, we've seen this in person. Right. Like we were just out uh, with a Major League Baseball team, and in their cafeteria, there is a huge table in uh-huh. the middle, and that's where everyone sits together. And those lunch conversations are fascinating because right. people are getting to bump into each other that normally wouldn't throughout right. the day. And ideas are just flying by everywhere. It's unreal. It was one of the coolest lunches I've ever had. Yeah. So, again, it's a small thing, right? It's just that long table encourages right. people to sit next to each other and sort of ideas start spreading. That they don't way. have, like, rules on the wall like, you must <laughs> yeah. eat together. It's here's a big old table. That's a small nudge. We're probably going to eat together. And then there's the famous stories of like Steve Jobs at Apple and at Pixar. Like they even made the lines in the cafeteria like zigzag. So you're more likely to bump into people. So these are just examples of nudges, Mm -hmm. small changes in the environment helping to encourage the behaviors we want. Exactly. I read an article that was talking about Google and everyone kind of champions Google as a a great workplace Mm -hmm. and, you know, being very creative. And they are. And the author was making the argument that Google is very good at what it does with its employees because they don't control the employee, but they control the environment in which the employee makes decisions. Absolutely. So it's all of these things giving them, you know, a two hour free period to go work on their own ideas. Right. They're not telling them, go give us a really good idea, but they're designing the environment to encourage them to create new things. The way I see this is, all right, look. Just because we set up the environment doesn't mean we're automatically going to do the thing, but it gives us a better chance. Right. Like nudges can help us take and sustain action, which helps us create the habits, which are going to make the long term impact. This is a a thing that can help us in that process. Right. We still have to do the thing. We can't just put the poster up on the wall and think suddenly we're great. Our actions need to align with the nudge that we're trying to do. Right. So I think, again, relating this back so it makes sense to people like me, like Mm -hmm. you majored in this stuff, you get it. But like people like me, it's like one, where are we? Uh, we're way more irrational than we think. Right. We can use that and create an environment that helps us win a few more battles. Right. Another reason we're super irrational, uh, and this is a concept that you taught me, is when we put in a lot of effort, time, and energy into something, uh-huh. we tend to overvalue it, and right. that can cause some problems. Yeah, this is what behavioral economists have dubbed the IKEA effect. Okay. After everyone's favorite Swedish retailer, right? How's that coolant coming along? Ikea doesn't assemble itself, you know. You're telling me. I don't mind the Cunin. It's an improvement on the Hurdal. Please. Anything's an improvement over the Hurdal. I'd have taken an Emnis or, or, or a Trisol over the Hurdal. Tell us what it is. So like you said, the Ikea effect is just the idea that we overvalue things that we create ourselves. Mm-hmm. So a good way to sort of understand this is to just go right into the study that they did. Yep. So they had these just basic ikea storage boxes and then they had two groups of people one group of people they gave them an unassembled ikea box just gave it to them and said okay build this real quick just like you have to do yep those super detailed instructions (laughs) great instructions (laughs) uh and then the second group they gave them a pre-assembled box and just said here's a box just kind of look at it for five minutes inspect it sure you know spend some time with it Mm -hmm. then what they did is they asked each of them two questions the first question was how much money would you pay for this? What's the value of this? And then the second question was, how much do you like this? Right. 
So we would assume that they would be basically the same. It's the box. Right, it's, it's the a, same exact It's a product. small box. It's not that great, whatever. But the first group, the builders, the people who had assembled this mm-hmm. box, they valued it like 63% higher and they liked it more. So, okay, in building it mm-hmm. and investing the time and energy, we tend to be more kind of like married to that product. Right. Another illustration is, uh, I read this study in Dan Ariely's book, Mm -hmm. um, Payoff, where similar setup to the the Ikea box. It's like, okay, we have a group of people who creates an origami crane, and then a second group of people, the buyers. Uh So we're comparing like, if I build it, what do I think the value is versus someone who didn't build it, what do they think the value right. is? Right, they're sort of trying to figure out how big the yeah. Ikea effect is And what is they found is the builders would value the crane like five times higher right. than the group that was just trying to buy it. Uh, that's a huge amount. 5X. And this happens with tons of things, right? It's not just origami cranes and Ikea boxes. No. Everything that we build, right. this is sort of happening in our minds. Now, this causes some problems. So one is, if we work really hard on something and we overvalue it, we're less likely to take feedback. Right. We're less likely to look outside the box and try something new. We're kind of married to this. We're going to go to bat on this. Right. And that makes a lot of sense, right? If if I've prepped hours for a presentation and then right before I give the presentation, I ask someone, could I get some feedback first? And they're like, oh, I don't really like this or this, this doesn't work here. Sure. You're like, I just spent a week of my life preparing for that. Right. This is good. Right. This happens to me all the time. Right. It's easy to do. Yes. So when we're married, when we've invested a lot of time and energy into something, this is a source of kind of being irrational. Like someone's trying to help us, but we're less receptive to this. Right. The other thing is this happens within an organization too. All the time. They kind of, they call this the not invented here syndrome. Mm -hmm. So, and the basic idea with it is companies ignore external ideas that other organizations have created in favor of their own, even though the ideas that might be outside of your organization could be better. So if we were going to be a hundred percent rational, it's, the best idea wins. Right. What whoever made that idea go with it. Right. But this is a perfect example of like us being irrational because right. we're humans and the IKEA effect is one sort of source of that. Right. Now, it's not all bad. No. Like we can use the IKEA effect to our advantage. Right. The first step is becoming aware of it. And yes. then once we understand sort of that it's happening, then we can find ways to work right. with it rather than so, against it. There's a few dimensions to this. Right. One the obvious one so far is if I've worked really hard on something, mm-hmm. I need to be aware of how I might be like overvaluing that and just kind of check myself right. and be more receptive to the feedback and support or ideas that I haven't thought of. Just because I worked really, really hard on this doesn't mean it's perfect. So right. being aware of the IKEA effect. Now, as leaders, we can kind of use this to our advantage. Mm-hmm. It's about providing opportunities for our people to invest time and energy on projects so they're more engaged in them. Right. This research supports the idea that the micromanagement approach is a seriously flawed one. Not not the most effective because what we're doing is essentially assembling the boxes for everyone. Exactly. So then no one gets those rewards. Not engaged. Yeah. I don't feel any ownership. So it's about providing opportunities for people to do some work and struggle a bit and build their boxes so they feel a part of this and more ownership. Now, again, we're not saying here's a menial task, you know, here's a a mundane task, just go do it. Right, so this isn't an argument just like, okay, make everyone work really hard on things that don't matter. It's, okay, we can add that layer of 
meaning. And right. we talked, we did a whole podcast right. about meaning. Episode four? four? I yeah. believe so. Episode four about having some meaning and purpose around the project matters. Mm-hmm. And Ariely also looked into this. Uh-huh. So this study, also in the book Payoff. In this study, they had two groups. And the goal was to build little like Lego creatures. Uh-huh. And the idea was, it's like, okay, if you build a creature, we'll pay you $2. And if you build another one, we're going to pay you a buck ninety. So it goes down by 10 right. cents. It diminishes. The goal is to see how many creatures will you build. So how long are you going to keep doing right. this? Group one. Built the creatures. As soon as I was done building it, the experimenter would disassemble the creature to get the pieces back. So I'd build, they take it apart. So there's really kind of like, it feels like we're just spinning our tires there. I'm making this, but then you're taking it apart. It's like pushing the ball up the hill and then it rolls back down. Absolutely. What's that called? Sisyphus. It's the myth of Sisyphus. I thought you'd know. Uh, Group two, it's I'm making these creatures. Uh The experimenter doesn't take them apart. They just kind of put them on a shelf. Okay. What they found is group two made way more. Now think about that. They're doing the same thing. Right. The same amount of money is on the line. The only difference is you're not taking them apart. So this is showing like feeling some meaning in progress. It's like, look at this progress. All my Lego creatures are lined up on this right. show. We feel proud about the work yeah, that we've done there's there. There's a visible thing. So, so there is some appreciation. Right. So it wasn't just the work itself Uh it was sort of like the overarching meaning or purpose i feel some sort of accomplishment right so once again the idea is everyone is sort of building their box right they're going through this process putting an effort the final layer is when we feel seen and appreciated or there's some meaning or purpose that's even better right now the purpose isn't always going to be we're going to change the world it's just a small little thing right and we're also not pushing for like empty praise like oh this is the best lego thing of all time it's helping our people feel appreciated and seen i see that you worked really hard on this tell me about the lessons you learned so many times in the workplace or in school we invest so much time and energy and then the leader's like oh nope wrong right it's like it might be wrong but ask me some questions about the process help me see help me feel appreciated right that's the goal here Allow for opportunities for our people to do the work. Don't rob them of their reps. Shout out last episode. And create some meaning. Help people feel like they matter and appreciate it in a genuine, authentic way. Right. When we do that, we create more engagement in the project. Right. And that's something that we can do in the classroom. That's something we can do in sports. That's something that we can do in business. Right. Um, I think this is a, a huge reason that like guided discovery is so important. Uh, John Kessel, one of my mentors, always says, show them where to look, not what to see. And what we're doing in this sort of guided discovery approach is we're allowing people to build their boxes and feel some ownership of what they come up with. And this is something that we try to weave into our workshops as well. Instead of just giving people the answers all the time, set up a problem, give them the tools, allow them to connect the dots and solve the problem. That is going to stick more. They're going to feel more engaged and involved in the process. And so this is like a little trick that we can use in teaching, presenting, finding ways to help our people solve the problems themselves, not just giving them the box preassembled. So to zoom out, why did we just talk about the Ikea effect? I think it's a really good illustration of how we act in irrational ways, and this can either lead us astray or we can use it to our advantage. Right. 
But step one is understanding what it is and that it's there. Right. That we are irrational at times. And the solution isn't to become more rational. Rather, Mm -hmm. it's to work with our nature rather than against it. 100%. And just to be real, it's like when we first started to outline this, I didn't really see the value. I was like, oh, it's interesting stuff. But now I kind of see it. It's we have to sustain action in order to build a new skill, change a habit. And this is the science that helps us do that. So this is like the tip of the iceberg. We've talked about a few studies, the Ikea effect. We talk about nudges. There's way more. Tons. If you're interested, Alex actually has a YouTube channel. What's it called? (laughs) Intermittent Diversion. Yeah. And he makes like explainer videos about all this stuff. So there's more info there if you want. Right. But the big takeaway here is just to realize that we're more irrational than we realize. And that's okay. And that's okay. We can work with it rather than against it. If, If you're like me, so many times I beat myself up because it's like... I said I wanted to read every day and I'm not. And right. I said I want to do this and I'm not. And what this research helps us understand is that's normal. Right. And there are ways and sort of small changes we can make that can help us win a few more battles, which changes our habits, which changes our behaviors, which helps us become a better learner or get better and do the things that we want to do. And that helps us stay on the right track for this thing that we're all pursuing. We're not going to do questions this week. Both of us are on the road and we didn't have a chance to collect any. Like we recorded kind of back-to-back episodes. We will have questions next week. Remember the hotline number, 805-635-8459. Thank you guys so much. And Jack says, what up? (laughs)